0: We were probably one of the only people in the country to actually lose money on a property that we bought in 2020 that we sold in 2023. Somehow we lost about 10% on that home purchase when everybody else, you know, doubled basically their home value doubled.
1: Hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank you for joining that mission today. And I want to especially thank the listeners in Houston, Texas for listening in and learning how to reduce your risk. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Eric Simonson. Eric, are you ready to join the mission? I sure am. Yeah. Let me introduce you to the audience and let them get to know your mission. Eric is the founder and CEO of Abundo, a financial planning firm that teaches and empowers people to take action and own their financial lives. After working as a traditional advisor for over a decade, Eric saw a need to help people who couldn't work with a traditional advisor since most required having a certain amount of money to invest with them first. He left his corporate job and launched a different model, one where he was only paid for giving honest advice that benefited his clients, not him. He built a bundle around a flat fee and advice-only financial planning model, eliminating all conflicts of interest without overcharging for professional advice and using proven low-cost investments. His firm now guides over 450 clients in all areas of their financial lives. Eric, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world.
0: Well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm a little disappointed you didn't say I'd like to introduce my worst podcast guest ever. That would have been uh, that would have been an, a new one for me, but I did love the intro. Yeah, a unique value that I bring to the world is I am trying to help as many people as I possibly can. I think there is a drastic need out in the world for good, honest advice. I think with the rise of social media, with just so much noise out there, people are hearing bad investment, bad advice left and right. And if they want to hire a professional, oftentimes that professional is not going to work with them because, as you mentioned, they just don't have enough money or maybe their fees are too high there's some barrier to entry. And so what we're trying to do here at Abundo is make that cost as low as possible, not have any barriers to entry and try to help as many people as we can to hopefully change the world for better.
1: That's what we want, a better world. Now, let me ask you this. Let's talk about like the ideal client from your perspective. Is it a a doctor, an engineer? What, What type of person is the type of person that will come to you?
0: Yeah, well, because we don't have any sort of again barriers to entry and we charge everybody the exact same fee, you know, we don't have that traditional like A client, B client, C client. Anybody that comes in our door is going to be treated with the same level of care and, you know, get the same high quality advice. So I wouldn't say we have necessarily an ideal client. I think the type of client that we maybe help the most or we we most enjoy helping are really the Kind of mid thirties, they're balancing a new career. They've got a kid, maybe another kid on the way. They've got a lot of goals. That's somebody who we find ourselves really gravitating towards helping. So if I had to, you know, tell you who who the exact ideal client is, that's that's what I would say.
1: And maybe you could just give a brief description of if someone comes to you and they they pay and they get your service, what does the outcome of that look like for them?
0: Yeah, I mean, can I say their life has changed forever? I mean, they're, what what the outcome hopefully is, right, is they're going to get advice. It's going to help them align their values, align their goals with their actions. So they're going to, everything's going to be a little different based on that person, but they might, you know, get on a budget, right? We'll help them figure out how much should you spend in each category. They're going to get probably a better optimized savings plan. So, you know, they're going to save into maybe a slightly different buckets to better optimize taxes or their returns they're going to have maybe a better medical plan option that they choose through work. I could go on and on and on, but again, every anything in their financial life, we want to dig into and help them optimize.
1: And when when I think about that, one of the things that turns me off as a business because I've looked at this and I do some stuff, but mainly I'm I'm working with institutions is that everybody's situation is different. And yeah. Okay, so there's one way to run this business to say, yeah, everybody's different, but hey, come on, you're going to have investing needs and medical needs and insurance needs. And therefore, we kind of understand what are some great options there, and we're going to kind of slot you in. Or, you know, h- how do you handle the differences with people? Because obviously with a flat fee, it can't be that you tend to spend a thousand hours working on a, the complex situation of, of one client. Yeah
0: yeah no thank you for for bringing that up. That's actually something that you know, despite being interviewed you know many times, that's something that has never been asked, and that's a very valid question, something we think about a lot. You know, I think the short answer is if we're running into a situation where somebody just has complexity or they have something going on that we don't feel like we're the right people to take on, we're very honest with them and letting them know that sorry, we just probably can't help you as well as maybe this person over here could. So, from time to time, we're absolutely referring people to a better solution. But for the majority, right, of the people that come in our door, one, I would say that yes, everybody's different and everybody's complex, but in different ways. So, you know, somebody might have a lot of debt and a lot of student loans, right? And and the hard challenge with them is just helping them work through how to pay these down in the best way possible, right? And so that's work, that's time, but that's that person in particular. Another person might be just retired, right? And they want help with retirement income. So figuring out, should I pull money from my 401k? Should I pull money from my HSA? When should I start Social Security? When should I start Medicare? That's another level of complexity. And in my opinion, it's not more complex, it's just different, right? And so we're not, you know, interesting enough, we're not spending that much more time with certain groups of people. We're just spending the time differently. And so we have, you know, we found as we've been doing this now for four years and worked with hundreds and hundreds of people that the needs of people are all different, but the time we spend kind of helping them on those needs is more or less similar. Mm. And we also have a really fantastic team with, gosh, advisors that have different breadth of skills. You know, we've got some advisors who are really good with like estate planning, tax planning, right? So we can lean on them. We've got other advisors who are just retirement experts, right? who who've written books about retirement. And so we can lean on them when it comes to to different strategies. So, you know, through kind of our collective intelligence, we feel like we're able to help a wide, wide swath of people in a really good way,
1: so after advising four hundred and fifty people, you must have made a couple observations. I mean, it's a very unique group. It's a group of people that are reaching out and looking for help and looking for answers. So it may not be representative of the typical person, but I'm just curious, you know, if you've made a couple observations from what you've seen now after, you know, getting to 450.
0: Gosh, you know, that's, that's funny you asked that because I was just thinking earlier this week, I was thinking, you know, we're starting to get some interesting data because of the amount of people we work with. And, you know, as we continue to grow and expand, you know, we're going to, yeah, we're definitely going to have some insight into kind of the psyche of the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, yeah, we've definitely learned some things, seen some things and probably the biggest, in my opinion, surprising, but it might not be surprising for you and, and a lot of your listeners. But the biggest surprising thing that I we continue to see over and over is people's fear and specifically their fear around investing and you know everybody thinks the recession's coming everybody thinks the market's going to crash you know and last i checked the market was up 23% this year you know so it's there's kind of a disconnect between what's happening with the markets and with people's retirement accounts and the way people feel about it and so we're you know we're trying to educate them and and show them you know what the risk you know in your world right what the the right risk appropriate level you know of investment risk to take on is
1: so if somebody's interested and they want to learn more, what's the best place to to go?
0: If somebody wants to learn more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can visit us on any of our social media platforms. Best place would probably be our website. We've got a lot of good content on there. They can schedule a free consultation with us to learn more. That would be probably the best, best place to, to learn more about Abundo and what we're doing.
1: Yeah. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes, AbundoWealth.com. So that's great. It's, it's interesting to learn about what you're doing. And I, I wish you, you know, great success because you really are changing lives and helping people. I know it was a major milestone in my mother and father's life many years ago when they found an advisor. It wasn't a fee only and it wasn't what you're doing in that way. But I can say that they've had that advisor all their life and that advisor has taken great care of them. And he was able to identify that they were way overexposed to a particular stock that my, you know, at the company my dad worked for, and was able to to bring that that down before that stock collapsed. And that's so, great. You know, yeah. So much value there. So I appreciate yeah. that. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story.
0: Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, as somebody who dispenses financial advice for a living to hundreds of people, you know, this was, this was something that I definitely had to check my ego at the door. I'll tell you the story. So in 2020, during kind of the early days of COVID, my wife and I sold a home and we bought a condo because we wanted to live, we wanted to live downtown. And we were probably one of the only people in the country to actually lose money on a property that we bought in 2020 that we sold in 2023 somehow we lost about 10% on that home purchase when everybody else you know doubled basically their home value doubled and so that was i would say that was probably you know dollars and cents wise my worst investment ever and what it taught me is that a the condo market behaves a little differently than the single family home market And also downtown markets obviously can behave differently than you know than suburban markets. And so I had made money on every property before that, but that was one where it didn't go the way I planned. I thought everything was going to keep going up and it did, except where I lived. And so that was my worst investment ever. And and I would say that's a cautionary tale to folks that, you know, not all homes, not all real estate investments are made equal, right? You got to really focus on location, got to focus on. You know, build quality. If condos just in general don't appreciate as Mm -hmm. much, I learned because you know you got apartments coming in left and right that are creating competition for those. So, condo purchase 2020. And
1: do you remember the the day that that you you know that the sale was completed? Like you know, normally you and your wife would probably clink
0: champagne glasses, but instead you realize, okay, that was different. (laughs) You remember that? Yeah. I knew I mean I knew 8 months before we sold that we were going to take a loss on it and you know understanding investment risks right and viewing it in in the context of any other investment right if if I would have owned a index fund and it would have dropped 10% in value it's not the end of the world right mm. but when you think of it as you know as a property as a as a home in this asset when all the other homes went up and then yours goes down that was that was a challenge so I knew that we were going to take a loss But I was still super relieved when we actually did, and we were able to get out from under it, as I'm sure you hear quite often. You know, that was a lesson. And, you know, next property, we aren't going to make those same mistakes.
1: Yeah. So let's just wrap this up by going through, you know, what would you describe as the lessons that you learned?
0: Yeah. Lessons that I learned are be cautious on new builds. Okay. You know, kind of like a new car. I've learned that new builds have a little bit of a markup on them and, you know, cause you get to be the first owner and that's all fun and that's great, but it's harder for those to see that appreciation because you're going to have a little bit of that, at least in my perspective, kind of first owner depreciation. So that was my lesson. And I've shared that with clients, right? Just be cautious of new builds. Don't expect to immediately flip that into a profit. That was the first lesson. Second lesson was... You know, we had already bought after the downtown markets were starting to really soften because of COVID. You know, we knew like COVID it was there. We knew that downtowns were closed, but I thought that was already going to be baked in, and I was, you know, and I was really factoring on a a return back to work and downtown reopening. And you know, th- it took three years and it never happened, and it still hasn't happened. And so, you know, I think don't bet on a recovery if there's another kind of big macro event, it's hard to it's hard to accurately guess what's gonna happen. You know, I would have never guessed used cars would have gone up in value. And, you know, there's weird things that happened during COVID that I think it's just hard to predict. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of my takeaways, you know, you said something about condos not appreciating the way sometimes that people think. Bangkok's an interesting case because there's so many condos that have been built in the last 15 years and, you know, many that are coming up and, you know, we have a, a very intricate sky train and subway network now that goes out throughout the greater Bangkok area. And so there's constantly new things coming up along that subway line. I saw a condo that I thought was interesting near my, near my home. And I thought, ah, I'll buy it. And I bought it. It hadn't been built, you know, it was being built And the the company that was building it was, you know, a high quality company. So I wasn't too worried about that. But when I finally received it, I I just thought to myself, I don't really feel like living in this for some reason. Mm. And I tried renting it for a little bit. And then after that, I sold it. And so I didn't have it for very long. And I I probably made all in all because I had some renters in there for a little while. I probably made one or 2%, you know, over a year or maybe over the whole time I had it, which was maybe two or three years. And I was, I was fine with walking away from that because I didn't want to live in it. Number one. And then also I didn't want to be a landlord, but the thing that I've come to see in Thailand in particular is that I think a lot of people have a hope that they're going to get some big gain at the end of, you know, in future years when they sell it. And I think it's just the opposite. They're going to have a loss and that's coming because of new developments that are coming up all the time. And also, you have deterioration ultimately in the building and the look and the style and all that. and mm-hmm. so what ends up happening is what people think is is going to be a gain is actually a loss. and the second thing that I find fascinating is that nowadays you can't even sell secondhand condos very
0: hard, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, much more yeah we we had one showing, and we're thankful that that person actually bought it, yeah that was lucky. You know, our neighbors have been on the market for months and months and months and not sold. Yeah. It's, it's a much, much smaller pool of buyers and everything you're saying is correct. And, you know, homeownership just as a whole, right. You, you have these costs that people also don't often think about, you know, there's an assessment right on the property, or I need a new roof, or I need to repair the carpet, or I need to, you know, just all these expenses that come up. And so people have this idea in their mind of real estate is this and some to almost just guaranteed investment. And when you really add it up and you you factor in your transactional costs to buy and sell it, you know, your mortgage costs and your realtor fees and the title fees. And you know, it you, you have to has to go up five, 10% a year just to break even on some of those costs. And that's not the same with a single detached house where you have a piece of
1: land and you have a house and you know, yeah. that type of thing. So it's just a very, you know, different situation in the condo market. So yeah. Before we move on to the next question we had a little discussion before and my valuation masterclass bootcamp students are graduating this particular week from a six week intensive program of how to value companies. And one of the companies that they're valuing, one of the teams is valuing is Tesla. And I just asked you a random question before we turn on the mic is, do you own a Tesla? And the answer- And was, I said,
0: yes. Exactly. It's said yes.
1: I said for Maybe a long time for since, the- yeah, almost eight years. For the benefit of my students, maybe you could give a quick synopsis as, an, as a long-term owner, you know, what your perspective is on the company, the car, and all that as they're, you know, coming up with their final, you know, presentations.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And I will say if if I were on CNBC right now, there would be a disclaimer that says, Speaker does own own stock in Tesla right? So I have a conflict here. As I say this, I was- uh, Ladies and gentlemen, no, the
1: speaker does own stock in Tesla. So take it with a grain of salt. This is not yep. investment advice, but it is personal experience. Ladies and yes. gentlemen, that's our advice for you. So tell us
0: more. Perfect. Yes. I was fortunate to uh, have some play money in 2015. And I bought Tesla stock and that's worked out well. I am a huge, so I'm a huge, huge fan of Tesla. I think that. From a quality of build standpoint, I mean, my vehicle has been flawless. I've needed new tires. Apart from that, I haven't had to do a thing. I mean, I literally haven't had to do a thing. They rotate the tires. They put in windshield wiper fluid. And that's all that's happened over over this, you know, eight-year period. You know, the car has gone better since the day I bought it. I could probably spend an hour telling you all the improvements that have happened while I've owned the car. I could sell the car probably today for not that less than I bought it for. You know, when you consider the tax credit I got, you know, really the cost of ownership has been so low. The, what am I trying to say? The electricity, the charge it is super cheap. You can know, you, you can explain you
1: can get, how, for a person that doesn't know anything like myself, how yeah. do you charge it? Where do you charge it? When do you
0: charge it? So I've always charged it basically through like an off-peak, charging program. So, in our current building, we've got a charger. Previous condo, we installed a charger, previous home made a charger, but all of them are on you charge overnight. So, you're getting favorable rates from the electric company. And, and that that um, means that
1: you're plugging in when you park at the end of the day, you plug in and then it turns on at night or what does that mean?
0: Yeah, not not every day, but you know, for most people it's probably once every 4 to 5 days. You get home, you plug it in, you you know, you go upstairs, you you make dinner, you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you go to your car, you unplug it and you go for your day. I mean, you you know, I used to live in Minnesota and I used to freeze my butt filling up the car with gas in the winter and never had to do that again after 2015. And yeah, I mean, electricity is cheap. We have a really good setup here where we're only paying about $8 to fill up our car, you know, from zero to 300 miles, you know, about eight bucks. So it's really, really cheap you know, where Tesla isn't as good is the, I would say like the fit and finishes, they're not as high end for that expensive of a car. You know, people have had issues, you know, sometimes like panel gaps and and just little things like that, but that's never been an issue for me. It's never bothered me. And I think that, you know, Tesla is separate from just a car company, right? They're doing some exciting things with energy and with energy storage. And so, I think that there's actually quite a bit of potential in the business on that side of things. When you look at like energy, energy storage, driverless technology, I'm very excited about that. I think that the car business could become second fiddle someday to that. One thing that's interesting about China is that they
1: really are nurturing their EV companies and tax credits as much as possible, incentivizing them and all that. But there's one car company in America that the administration seems to not like. And I am just curious, like, what? Well, I mean, when I, when I look at the company that needs to be encouraged more than any Tesla is probably the most innovative and pushing the limits on everything. I just found that yeah. fascinating. And, and you see the GM and Ford and, and others, you know, struggling, struggling to try to figure out how to change the business model.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen, you know, a Tesla commercial. I've never, you know, it's been all grassroots. It's all been people like me who have just told everybody they can, like, this is a great car. It's one of, the, you know, if this was a, my best investment ever podcast, I would say, you know, that was probably one of one of them was buying well, that Tesla. The stock, stock the and auto. the car. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I will say though, the you know, the counter argument to the, you know, the Tesla investment thesis is, you know, those automakers in China are, you know, it used to be Tesla was the EV in China and now you know now people are are buying you know li and they're buying you know all the other ones and so tesla's you know market share of china's gone way down and so that's that's definitely a headwind you know elon with the twitter x thing is a headwind right so there's some things that can cause pause too
1: yeah i just put a poll on my linkedin should tesla buy twitter and the the vote was uh, about 60% no
0: so mm, interesting. Yeah,
1: but I mean, I had some interesting comments and you know, people thinking about how that could you know, come together, but that it's fascinating. And I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. I know my students are gonna appreciate hearing that. So let's go back and think about your investment and let's think about your worst investment based on what you learned from that story and what you continue to learn. Let's now imagine a young man or woman or a couple who are looking at a condo. What one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate
0: i would tell them to make sure they feel really confident in their timeline that they're going to live there because your experience was you didn't you decided you actually did not want to live there mm-hmm. my experience was i only lived there for a couple of years if i would have held that longer i probably would have done slightly better maybe i don't know so first thing i would say is really be, you know be confident in that you're going to live there long enough to just recoup maybe some of those initial costs of buying. Second thing would be don't spend more on this condo purchase than you're really comfortable spending. Like some people will buy, you know, they'll buy a single family home and they'll go above budget, you know, to they'll get into bidding war, they'll buy the house. I would say with a condo, because it's, it's going to be a bit more of a risk. I just would hate for somebody to, you know, maybe their budget was five hundred thousand, and then buying something for six hundred, and then that and the, that goes down in value. It just becomes a bigger loss for them. So just really, you know, be tighter on your purchase price parameters with a condo purchase. And then I would say also really understand the the rules around the rentability of it. So what what happens if you want to get out of it? Can you rent it out like you did? In our instance, we couldn't. We knew that going into it, but. That was just definitely a an issue, right? We couldn't have held on to it even if we wanted to. So just really understand, you know, the those bylaws. Great advice. What's
1: a resource of either yours or any others that you'd recommend for the listeners?
0: You know, if I want to direct people again to our website, they can specifically go to our blog. We've got a lot of really good content we're putting out on our blog on a consistent basis. One of our advisors is a a prominent blog poster or a blogger, I should say. And so he's actually writing blog content for us as well. And so, yeah, we've got some good, good material on there as well as a lot more coming. Yeah. And I'm looking at some of them, like what to consider
1: when combining finances, why do bond funds lose value if they are safe? As another example, lots of good uh, blogs right there. So that's yeah, a, a yeah. good resource. Let me ask you last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: My number one goal for the next 12 months, I will tell you, my number one goal for the next 12 months is creating the best culture and team that I can create, you know, because if I do that, they're going to work hard for their clients. They're going to serve them really well. So I want to just, I want to make, I want to have a happy, hardworking group of folks at Abundo. Beautiful.
1: Beautiful. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Eric, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: No, other than just thank you for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it.
1: It's great having you and learning from you. I appreciate you coming on the show. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst
0: podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.